0: I'm sure that this is the sermon, since we started our series going through the Bible, that most of you have been waiting for with bated breath, Leviticus. Um, I think probably either, uh, those of you who are here, either number one, didn't realize I was going to be preaching on Leviticus, or number two, uh, are just really good Christians because you came anyways. If... uh, If I could paint a little picture, if Leviticus, if the whole of the Bible was a farm, and each book were an animal, I think Leviticus would be the ornery old uh, donkey, not a mule, because Leviticus specifically condemns crossbreeding, so it would be a donkey at the far end of the property that has been there forever, and nobody really gets why it's still alive. But it continues to persist and um, be kind of a thorn in our side. Why is Leviticus scripture? Seriously, how is it supposed to apply to us? Even scholars are a little bit troubled by Leviticus. The very first commentary I read, uh, the scholar said this. How does one explain and apply a book that devotes seven chapters to the bewildering, if not seemingly bizarre, requirement of ancient Israel's sacrificial system, and five chapters to details of ritual impurity, including such indelicate matters as menstrual blood and semen? That is the question. What are we supposed to do with Leviticus? Author, the scholar went on to say that it is the most neglected of the neglected biblical books, and I get to preach on it today <laughs> It's like yeah let's just have the intern do that one right <laughs> Um, but there's something exciting about a book like Leviticus when you're going to preach on it, uh, because sometimes when you're going to preach on a more well-known text, you kind of go in thinking, you know, what you're going to say, but Leviticus has propelled me this past week into a life of prayer. I have continually asked God, what are you trying to tell us through the book of Leviticus? Because Leviticus, I think, actually poses a bit of a problem, maybe a bigger problem than we think. Because behind the question, why should we care about Israel's worship practices, their sacrifices, and their rituals, lies a much deeper, much more intimidating question, which lies at the heart of the Christian faith, and that is, what is Scripture? For the most part, it's easy to see how the Gospels relate to us, and the Epistles, and the rest of the New Testament. We can crack open the psalms and read along pretty much no matter where we are in life. Quotes from Isaiah and Jeremiah and the prophets make it into inspirational cards we give people. There are narratives that we get lost in and characters we relate to. But Leviticus, Leviticus is just really hard to find a place in. What are we supposed to do with it? Not only is Leviticus random... Telling us about how exactly to offer sacrifices. Commanding that we not wear clothes made of mixed fabrics. Commanding that we don't trim our beards, which I'm ahead of you all on that. <laughs> but it also commands that we don't have tattoos, which I'm lagging behind. I'm in a little bit of trouble on that one. But Leviticus also has some really problematic stuff. Leviticus says that women aren't worth as much as men those with disabilities are second-class citizens, that we can throw the death penalty around for pretty much anything, and that it's okay for Israelites to own other, others as slaves. And yet, and yet, and yet we believe that Leviticus is part of Scripture and that Scripture is authoritative. We can't just throw it out as much as we might like to. The canon of Scripture has been set And Leviticus made it in there somehow, so God must think it's worth having. At the same time, no one really follows Leviticus, right? I don't know anyone who follows Leviticus. We don't follow the dietary laws. We don't use terms like pure and impure in the same way. We don't send people outside the camp. Although, we were playing poker at the Popes the other night, and and Andy had eaten Mexican food. Beforehand, and we wanted to send him outside the camp <laughs> at a few points. Um, so there must be something deeper going on in Leviticus. Uh, we don't follow it to a T, but we can't throw it out. And that that reminds me of what Andy said a few uh, weeks ago when he was preaching on no- uh, Noah. That there must be something deeper going on. It isn't about how you cut your beard or whether or not you have tattoos. Hopefully. All these are practices that are meant to bring about a greater goal. But it isn't until the end of Leviticus that we get to see what that goal is. In Leviticus 26, 9 through 13, God tells the Israelites that if they follow the, his, uh, follow the rules, he says, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest, when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. What a beautiful image. I will put my dwelling place among you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. The goal of Leviticus is right relationship with God. God gave the Israelites the law so that they would know how to walk with God. God is holy, and God is calling Israel to be holy. At three different points throughout the book of Leviticus, God tells the Israelites, Be holy, for I am holy. The problem is that... Well, the Israelites don't know how to be holy. We often think of rules as something bad and legalistic. We're not like the Pharisees. But imagine not having any rules. Imagine you're the Israelites, and you're in the wilderness, and you've seen God as this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You've eaten manna that has fallen from heaven. You've seen God perform wonderful and scary miracles, but you don't actually know God. And at times, God is downright terrifying. At one point in Leviticus, God kills Aaron's sons because they offered unholy fire, whatever that is. In Numbers 16, the ground opens up and swallows the family of Korah and all his possessions. And in Numbers 21, God gets angry with the people and sends snakes into the camp, poisonous snakes that bite and kill a bunch of the Israelites. God is scary at times. We know that God loves the Israelites, and most of the time the Israelites knew that God loved them. But imagine seeing the power of God day to day and not knowing what that God expects of you. Leviticus as well as Deuteronomy and parts of Exodus and Numbers show the Israelites what God is like and what God expects of them. Leviticus shows the Israelites how to be in relationship with God. What can I relate this to? I think the perfect analogy for Leviticus is the game of cribbage cribbage is there, are there any other cribbage players out there no one even my wife who plays is like not raising your hand right now yeah, yeah I'm going to be put outside the camp as a family the Richards love cribbage it is our game uh, I don't even remember how young I was. Like, most of the time you think of old people, you think of these guys playing, right? But I, I know the first time I beat my mom, I was eight. So I had to have learned earlier than that. And uh, throughout my time growing up, if two of us wanted to spend some quality bonding time, it usually involved a cribbage board and a cup of coffee. And uh, I actually proposed to Bree while we were playing cribbage. Which... Later she said, yeah, that was pretty weird because I don't like cribbage. Which was like, I had to rethink if I should have given her that ring or not. Um, And actually, so for like the next year I tried to get Bree to like cribbage and uh, on her first birthday as a married woman it ended with her in tears because I had beat her at cribbage and she swore off cribbage and for a whole year, she didn't play at all. And then she kind of slowly started playing, but she wouldn't play with me, which made it even worse. But slowly over time, Brie realized uh, that to be a true Richards, she needed to learn how to play cribbage. Just as Israel had to practice the laws of Leviticus in order to enter into right relationship with God... Bree had to learn the rules of cribbage in order to enter into a right relationship with the Richards family. (laughs) At first, it was difficult and she hated it, but the more she played, the more she actually began to love it as well. And now she's the one who will say to me on a Saturday, Hey, let's go get coffee and play cribbage, which is just the nicest thing she could say to me. It warms my heart. Leviticus has this similar goal, that the more the Israelites will practice these laws, the more it will become a way of life. It's like God wants to reach in and touch every part of Israel's life and make it holy. The laws in Leviticus are so specific, it's crazy. They touch on everything from how to identify leprosy to what you're supposed to do with mold in your house. But the hope is that Israel, Israel will bring every aspect of their lives into right relationship with God. The rules will usher them into this new way of living, just as the rules of cribbage ushered Bree into a new way of bonding with my family. The thing that we need to remember today, though, in 2016, is that Leviticus isn't a game plan for how all people everywhere are supposed to live with God. This is God's specific communication with Israel while they are in the wilderness. It's a particular set of rules given to a particular people in a particular place at a particular time. God's revelation is always situated in time, even as it reaches beyond time. And what I mean by that is that there are implications from Leviticus for our lives today, but it's not a set of binding rules for us. We know that because none of us follow the rules of Leviticus, right? I don't think we've had a sacrifice here in the gym. Not since I got here anyways. In the very last verse of Leviticus, uh, it says this. These are the commands that the Lord gave to Moses, a particular person, for the people of Israel, a particular people, on Mount Sinai, a particular place. God is the universal God. But God's revelation always is situated in time. It always takes place in a certain context. Leviticus is no different. What this tells us is that God probably has something specific to say to us, the people of Mosaic, just as God has something specific to say to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. We are a unique people in a unique place at a unique time. We aren't supposed to do all the same things that Israel did. We live in the United States in 2016, which has some perks, it means we get to eat shellfish, we get to eat wear tribal end shirts, because they're really comfortable. But we have our own issues. For example, race didn't exist for the Israelites like it does for us now. Monogamous same-sex relationships weren't even a thing on their radar. The Israelites would have asked, what is capitalism? And what are nuclear weapons? We aren't the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness without a home. We live in Clayton or Durham or Raleigh or Garner and we do have a home. We're facing our own moral dilemmas. And Leviticus shows us that God is interested in entering into specific contexts and speaking a fresh word of revelation that is relevant to the place, time, and circumstances of us where we are just bring it back to cribbage one more time and then i'll let it go cribbage has its own set of rules and as beautiful as those rules are they don't help me play texas hold'em when i was playing the other night i kept seeing cards that were so great for cribbage and meant absolutely nothing for me as i was playing poker over and over the cards meant nothing in poker the other night different games require different rules are good for games they enable us to play them we can't play the games without the rules and life is the same way rules are good they give our lives shape and meaning they help us know what the end goal is and they help us achieve that goal but different contexts require different rules although we don't follow the levitical laws anymore we can learn from leviticus that the way we live our lives matters I listened to Leviticus on audiobook this week, which was excruciating. (laughs) But something stood out to me that I think I wouldn't have caught if I was just reading. And that is just how repetitive Leviticus is. Phrases are repeated over and over and over, like, Do this, do this, do this, and it will be holy to the Lord. Do this, and then this, and this, and it will be holy to the Lord. Over and over, there's this rhythmic Sound to the book of Leviticus. I think this is intentional. The repetitive nature of the text reinforces the repetitive nature of what it meant to live with God. Leviticus is commanding the people to form habits and practices that cause a rhythm in their life that brings them daily into life with God. Thinking about holy rhythms and practices makes me think of my parents. Every morning as I was growing up, As I would walk from my bedroom to the bathroom to take a shower, I would look in and see my parents in the living room with their cups of coffee and my mom's homemade biscotti and their Bibles opened up in front of them as they read. And Bible reading has kind of like become this way that we guilt people and I'm not trying to do that like, oh, are you reading your Bible every day? But for my parents, this was just a rhythm of their life. And it still is. They read their Bible every morning. And it's crazy the way that it makes... That, that Bible reading makes its way into so many conversations. Whenever I'm uh, calling my mom because I need her advice or I need a little encouragement, um, I'm going through a hard time, like I'm trying to figure out how to preach a sermon on Leviticus, <laughs> I call and, I, and and she so often says something like, oh, that reminds me of what I was just reading this morning or what I was reading last week. And she's able to like speak life into whatever my situation is because she's so familiar with Scripture. Another rhythm of my parents, um, and you all are going to think my parents are like really awesome people now, I guess, but they, they have a lot of good rhythms. Um, my dad is a teacher, and since before I was born, he's, they've had youth group at our house every Wednesday night. Um, and there have been times when there's, when no one shows up. There have been times when only one or two kids come regularly. And there have been times where there are so many kids, my parents have to split it up into different age groups because they can't fit them all in our house. But it doesn't really matter one way or the other because every Wednesday night, my parents host youth group. And just to show the kind of impact this has had, um, just recently on Facebook a former student of my dad's, who's um, probably in her 30s now, he hasn't had any contact with her, left this uh, post. I wanted to stop by and say thank you. Thank you for introducing me to church and youth group. Because of you, my curiosity grew, and today I was installed and ordained as a deacon in my church. If it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't be where I am. So thank you. My dad told me he didn't even remember that girl coming to youth group very much. But somehow this rhythm that my parents had put in place in their lives was instrumental in bringing this woman into the life of God and the life of the church. As a church, Mosaic is invested in rhythms of life that bring us together and orient us towards God. We have groups like community groups, we have fifth Sundays where we do service projects, we have gatherings like Amy spoke about, and we have affinity groups. These are rhythms that shape us as a community and help us move toward holiness. The problem comes when people try to make laws from Leviticus or other scriptures timeless and binding in a way they were never meant to be when people try to make every rule universal without taking into account the context in which it was written, without putting it in conversation with present realities, all in the name of being true to the Bible, they take these rules out of context and then they exclude other people. They're putting an expectation on Scripture that Scripture itself never claimed to make. And what's more, I think they're totally missing the point of Holiness. According to God's covenant with Abraham, the one God mentions in the verse uh, in the passage we read earlier, when God says, "I will keep my covenant with you," the purpose of God's choosing Israel is so that, and this is Genesis twelve three, in all in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God gives the Israelites the law so that they will be holy, so that they can be the people of God. But why? so that they can show the rest of the world what it means to walk with God. Their holiness is an example to other nations, to invite them into the same kind of life that they are living with God. It's not about keeping others out, it's about inviting others in. Enter Jesus Christ. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. As we know from the rest of the Old Testament, despite having Leviticus and the other laws, Israel has a really hard time actually keeping the laws. They're never quite able to bring their life into line with God's life. But in Jesus, the two come together seamlessly theologian uh, James McClendon says that there are two stories, God's story and humanity's story. And they come together completely for the first time in Jesus. In Jesus God's story becomes humanity's story and humanity's story becomes God's story. And in Jesus we learn what it really means to be holy. And it looks quite a bit different than what the people of Jesus' day and the people of our day expect it to look like. Holiness has become kind of a dirty word for us because holiness seems to imply a kind of exclusion. In order to be holy, somebody else has to be unholy. But that's not the kind of holiness that Jesus embodied and talked about. When asked what the two most important, or when asked what the most important law was, Jesus says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments in case some of you were afraid earlier i was kind of slipping into a sort of relativism like what's right there is no right and wrong what's good for you is good for you what's good for me is good for me it doesn't matter that's not what i'm saying but jesus shows us that there are a few timeless rules two to be exact love god and love your neighbor that's what all the other laws are getting at That's the litmus test we can ask ourselves in every moral quandary we find ourselves. Is this loving towards God? Is this loving towards my neighbor? That's what holiness is. To be holy as God is holy is to love God and love your neighbor. And as the parable of the Good Samaritan reminds us, everybody is our neighbor. The holiness Jesus embodied was radically inclusive. He hangs out with everybody. He invited others into the fullness of life, and he didn't exclude them. He has dinner with Zacchaeus, and then he has dinner with the Pharisees. He lets those sinful women touch him, and he hangs out and stays the night with Samaritans. He healed the daughter of Jairus, who was an upright Jewish man, and he healed the servant of a Roman centurion. Jesus shows us that to be holy is to tear down walls, not to build them up teachings of Jesus don't replace or nullify the rules of Leviticus. It's the opposite. Jesus embodied the end goal of Leviticus. In Jesus, God has made God's dwelling among us. In Jesus, God walks among us. And in Jesus, we are part of God's people. Will you please pray with me? 18 plus.